Hello, loves. Thanks for listening to the Lola Community Podcast. This summer, we are opening up Thrive, our six-week course, deep dive into holistic health, just packed with wonderful journaling, reflections, videos, resources, and teachings for you around the Lola lifestyle. Thrive is our foundational program that we started with many years ago and have built over the years to really support women sustainably, holistic in nature, and it's fun too. So check it out at littleohm.com backslash offerings, L-I-L-O-M-M.com backslash offerings. There you will find Thrive and our self-compassion challenge. Hope you're having a great summer. Okay. Hi, everyone. Today I have my friend Stacy. Hi, Stacy. Hi, everybody. Stacy's a therapist in DC and we're personal friends. And I w- we were talking one day and I said, I think you said, oh yeah, I also do EMDR. And I was like, oh yes. Will you come on the podcast and talk to us about it? Because I have only had on the podcast so far healing modalities that I've personally used mm-hmm. um, and practitioners that I know or, or have used. However, I have a number of private clients who have used EMDR and then come to me later for other things. And I've been so curious about it, but have not had the opportunity to try it myself. And so I'm really excited about having you on to educate us all what is it? What, who is it good for? What, why do we need it? And tell us all of the good juju about it. Uh, well, this is such a great opportunity because I do really enjoy talking about EMDR. And it's funny when I talk to some colleagues, but mostly friends or, or people in the community about it, it sounds super weird. It sounds like it's brand new. And I love being able to say, actually, no, we've got tons of research that come from the community about EMDR. So not to be um, too boring with the history, I'll just say the EMDR modality is a, one of the most highly researched psychotherapy methods that we have. It is an evidence-based treatment, quote unquote, for PTSD, but it has a lot of other uses. Um, the woman who discovered this approach, her name's Francine Shapiro. She actually passed away two weeks ago, oh, which wow. has really been um, such a, a sad thing for the community to process. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's kind of interesting that we're doing this interview now with, mm-hmm. with that, uh, with her experience in the past. So she um, discovered this when dealing with her own distress. The story that I was told, which this came in my training, so I'm not sure if I've actually read this written down, was that she was diagnosed with breast cancer and found herself being called to the woods like many of us are when we are worried about things and found herself sort of thinking about her anxiety and then looking from side to side, moving her eyes from side to side, feeling herself compelled to do that and noticing that it relieved her distress and kind of noticing that, but also having something pretty major to be dealing with. She, she set it aside for a period of time and then decided to go back to it and see if it would work on other distressing memories of her own and mm. uh, talk to colleagues about it. And like most of us, uh, when we discover something that works for us, we want to figure out why. And so she mm. really started to delve into the research. And I think the initial studies were in 1987. Okay. That's a good long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, 
ever since then, there, it's obviously um, developed into a comprehensive therapy model. And we have now hundreds of thousands of therapists who are trained in EMDR. Not everybody's certified, but the training is um, uh, ubiquitous at this point. So many people have, have done it. And there are mm -hmm. 9,000 members of the EMDRIA Association. And okay. um, if you are certified, you are constantly doing, uh, and I am certified, so I, I know this intimately, you're always looking for new uh, continuing education mm -hmm. opportunities. You have mm -hmm. to stay up on the training and in, on the research to, to maintain your certification, which I think is pretty important. Um, so just to say, I, I, I love to highlight that this is something that's really well-researched, but it is confusing. Um, the reason I got into studying EMDR, I used to write uh, for Counseling Today magazine. Mm -hmm. And I was assigned an assignment to, to uh, write an article about trauma, and I was mm. curious about EMDR as a modality. And I wrote an entire article on this. This was in the mid-2000s. And I still didn't really get it. And even the videos yeah. that were available at the time on YouTube yeah. didn't make a lot of sense to me, and I just yeah. got confused. And like most things, when I don't understand it, I have to do a full-blown training on it. So yeah. when that came up as an opportunity with some colleagues here in DC, we did a small group training with Dini Laliotis, who is a luminary in the EMDR community. And we're lucky that she's here in DC because she does a lot of training. Okay. She brings great people here. But we were able to do a training in her home, a small group. I think there were 12 of us. Mm -hmm. uh, most of us were couples therapists, which is sort of my brand. Uh, and we were interested in figuring out ways to help our clients manage symptoms from trauma that often impact our relationships as you can mm -hmm. so we did this great training and um, a lot of people do the training and just incorporate it as a tool some of us go a little deeper and do more of the um, uh, supervision and requirements to uh, be certified and I still really wanted to know more inside out so I started working with an, a supervisor Jan Beauregard who's incredible out in Fairfax and really started started to understand that you could use this tool not just for managing PTSD but also for incorporating new resources into your your experiences and I know that sounds a little weird so we can talk about what I mean by that but there are I've used I've worked with the clients on dealing with a variety of symptoms yes PTSD yes mm -hmm. uh, you know traumatic reactions but also I, it's a, it's a tool for releasing negative emotions. So you can imagine the mm. uses, um, helping clients set boundaries, resolving shame. It's all something that we can use EMDR for. Mm -hmm. And strengthen that skill of releasing negative emotions if, it's, if you don't have other tools or they're not working or just sort of another way of working with it. Okay, what's the science behind it? Do you know what's like the basic, not the whole in-depth, training piece, but I don't get it. Right. And, and I get that. It, it is a little confusing. And the, I, I want to, the caveat I say to everybody is that with any therapeutic modality, we really don't know Got it. exactly yeah. how they work totally. <laughs> in terms totally. of neurobiology, because we don't have a farm of human brains to practice yeah. on. Uh, but what we do know is that the eye movement portion is about activating both hemispheres of the brain Yep. in a manner that is similar to REM sleep. Mm -hmm. We have a theory about REM sleep, which is that, and the way that I describe it with clients that I, I have had the most success is explaining it as throughout your day, you're collecting files mm -hmm. from other people, all of your interactions, they stack up on your desk. 
at night, your brain puts those files in the right drawer. Mm -hmm. EMDR is the eye, the eye movements reflect that your brain is moving from side to side. Bilateral stimulation is what we call it. Putting those files where they belong. Discarding files that are unnecessary. Like you don't necessarily need to remember the name of every person you interacted with, but you do need to remember what happened during your review with your boss. Mm -hmm. Important files versus the others. Trauma takes that whole processing system offline. Mm -hmm. You may be rebooted and good to go the next day. It might take a few days. It might take a couple of months. Your brain will get back into a system of processing daily events, mm -hmm. but you still have a big file left on your desk. And that has an impact on your productivity for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So EMDR is a conscious process. We ask a client to consciously sit down, think about a traumatic event, mm -hmm. and then we stimulate their brain bilaterally. Mm -hmm. Doesn't involve needles. <laughs> it's not mm -hmm. painful in any way, but there are a couple of ways that we can stimulate our brains bilaterally. You can look at a light bar that moves from side to side. You can look at my fingers moving from side to side. That's how we learned it in the training. You know, mm -hmm. six days of doing this, your arm really started to get tired. Mm -hmm. Most of us invested <laughs> in the equipment. So um, my machine is a lap scan that has a light that moves this. People can use their eye movements. Mm -hmm. It has uh, audio. You can hear tones in either ear uh, and tappers, which is the preferred modality for most of my clients. They really enjoy the tappers. When you set them, the, the speed of the bilateral simulation fast, that's mm -hmm. what we use when we're working on a difficult memory. We want to move through the material. We yeah. want to get it adapted. We want to understand it in a different way. If we are trying to install uh, a resource or um, grow a, a part of ourselves, like our self-confidence, mm -hmm. we slow down the modality. We, we, we move it mm -hmm. much, much slower. If we're trying to install a safe place metaphor or mm -hmm. um, other calming techniques. We do, we use the, the tappers at slow speed. I have done a couple of trainings with um, pretty incredible therapists who recommend just holding the tappers at slow speed during any therapeutic session. So even mm -hmm. if I'm just sitting and talking to a client as normal, they might hold the tappers to help calm, but also to help distill and trigger their brain into, oh, what we're talking about is important. I'm going to keep this file. I'm going to do mm -hmm. something with it. Mm -hmm. uh, does that make sense? What's the tappers? Your whole, it's not the light piece? It's not a light bar. But you oh, can, got it. It's like little buzzers in your hand. Okay. Make a little buzzing sound. And sometimes you can hold them in your hands. You can tuck them under your knees. You can sit on them, whatever feels comfortable. But that's also stimulating both hemispheres of the brain. So exactly. So interesting because um, I'm putting these connections together. I know literally nothing about EMDR except that it's a modality, like I said, that has worked for some. And when I actually brought it up to our online community that I was going to be chatting with you about this, uh, a few people said, oh, great, because I did that once a long time ago and I, it didn't work, which I don't even know what that means because I didn't know enough about it to know what that would mean or not what that would mean. Sure. However, what you're saying <laughs> is like directly in line with yoga and Ayurveda philosophy. I mean, this is literally why we cross body, why your physical practice would be cross body, um, cross center line, whether like our, even arm extended, like the old school classical postures are cross body, cross center, cross midline so that you're stimulating the brain right. and stimulating, and we do alternate nostril breathing. 
And the reason we do alternate nostril breathing daily is to integrate both hemispheres of the brain. Okay, that's brilliant. The other piece in Ayurveda is, so there is a time of night, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. in Ayurveda, which is the time when your tissues are restoring, you're emotionally and physically digesting and metabolizing your day and your life, and your brain is getting the shower of good juju for, mm. again, putting the files in the right, in the right drawer. Um, the Ayurvedic uh, teachers say, if you're missing that window between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., your cycles aren't fully completing. Mm. And that can cause more disturbance. That makes complete sense. We of know mind. that the quickest of the way, mind. yes, the quickest way to make somebody feel like they're losing control is to reduce their sleep. Sleep. Uh, whenever I work with clients, yep. the, the first question is, tell me about your sleep. We can't yeah. Right. improve any symptomology right. until we have that. And I, it's because of the REM yeah. property there right. for sure. So yeah. I love like, you know, I, I don't, we've never sat and had a conversation about how this connects to yoga or Ayurveda or what I study or what I know, or like the wisdom yeah. of that side. Like I'm obsessed with this. Like, I love the, that we live in a world where the science is proving what the Vedic um, scholars and wisdom teachers and indigenous cultures have, have been teaching a long time. Um, I love that they're layering and, and sort of proving each other, but I also love the different lenses and ways of looking at it. Um, mm -hmm. That's really saying the same thing. I was with this Ayurvedic teacher yesterday, actually, and he said, we were talking about disturbances of the mind in Ayurveda and how they, and how they, the path to pathology mm -hmm. is what he was talking about. And, you know, he said, you can, you can take someone and if they sleep from 10 to 2, possibly 3, like we could push it to 3, but they wake up anytime after 3, they've still at least been through the process and are less likely to have a dis-ease of the mind. Hmm. So what he was saying is, true. Yeah. yeah, if, you're, if your clients or your, your, the people you're working with are in your own life are having sleep disturbances, but they're at least getting that chunk from 10 to 2 during what we call the pitta stage of sleep, then it's okay. They can still get up and sort of function. It's when that chunk is disturbed where there's more disease. So I just love, again, like all the connections of it. And I'd never heard someone say it like so specifically like he did yesterday mm -hmm. um, around like what are you around the sleep cycles and around what's happening when we're sleeping and why that's so important to working with our emotions all connected i mean always um okay so tell me what a session is like if you're coming in with a trauma like you're coming in with ptsd first of all hold on let me back up do you believe that everyone is rocking around with some levels of ptsd right now i keep hearing this in the therapeutic huh. i don't know that i would label it ptsd i hate labeling i hate diagnosing mm -hmm. i hate mm -hmm. that whole concept mm -hmm. i understand why we need it Mm -hmm. but it's not my, my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that trauma expands to fit the space that we have. So my trauma might be a smaller T than someone else's, mm -hmm. but it's an experience that changes your outlook. And can if it still causes distress, it counts as a trauma to me. Okay. That's what I want to know, what your definition. So if it's still causing distress. Mm -hmm. I, that's the, the point of EMDR is to 
and any, any trauma treatment, honestly, is to get people to a level of functioning where they can remember without reliving. That's the phrase that we like to use. Mm. We're not going to delete the memory, but we do want to lessen the intensity of the symptomology that comes with it. Mm-hmm. There is a, another analogy that people use to describe mm. EMTR. I'm trying to it's the computer analogy. Like we need to reboot. If you're buffering, oh, you're mm-hmm. not really living your life in a way that mm-hmm. that is to its fullest potential. And if we can use EMDR to reboot the system, you're still the same you. You just experience your your memories in a different way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we're saying we're coming in for a session. When the people in my community said, "Oh, I did that and it didn't work for me," what does that mean? Oh, and how would we question. know? You know, when I did the training, the, the, the statement that was made to us was EMDR will never harm, mm. but it might not, it might just have a neutral effect. Mm-hmm. My experience is that most clients have a positive experience with it, a positive mm-hmm. effect. Um, there is a very specific protocol. And, and then just to go back to the, the research question, you know, nowadays everybody's talking about evidence-based mm-hmm. um, methods, which I'm completely supportive of. But the reason why it's so hard to get research on traditional psychotherapy is that my conversation with one client is very very different from my conversation with the next. When I'm working with couples, it's similar. You you really work with what's in the room. So it's hard to Mm -hmm. get something that's reliable and replicable. EMDR is reliable and replicable because we have this eight stage process. My assumption that I'm making about clients who might say it didn't work would be that the therapist might have been using it as a tool as part of a larger approach as opposed to being strictly following the eight-stage protocol. Right. Um, When I follow the eight-stage protocol, it doesn't sound like Stacey. It does not sound like me. I I, I warn my clients who I've been working with for a long time, oh, we're going to do this totally differently. I'm going to read a script. We're going to follow these guidelines. It's going to be very different, but I want you to have the best experience we can Mm -hmm. with this. Uh, But I will say I've been um, doing more research into attachment-based EMDR lately and the information that I've been reading and talking to colleagues about does suggest that it doesn't have to be so um, stylized to, Mm. to have positive results. But my assumption about the clients who maybe have said that it didn't work for them was that they walked in, it wasn't exactly following the protocol and Mm -hmm. perhaps they didn't, didn't have the chance to give it the full time. How many sessions do you find work for people to have? um, I don't like the word results here. Uh, Release. It's a great question. Uh, And of course I get that all the time, especially with couples. How many sessions? Um, It really varies. Of course, single incident trauma, a few sessions. Mm -hmm. If it's more complicated or um, performance related, like we use this for peak performance training, um, it could be more or less. Mm -hmm. They say, I believe, um, through the Emdria website that 12 to 24 sessions is expected for complex PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are really no, no short, no, no shortcuts in this uh, process. Of course. Um, we, we do have to give it the time that that's required. So when I have a client who says, I want to do this, I ask them if we have a solid, amount of time, like this summer, I'm not taking anybody new for EMDR because I'm yeah. traveling a bit and I want to make sure that I'm available to them to, to do the processing on a regular basis. 
we like to have distance between sessions because you need a few EMDR, I mean, I'm sorry, you need a few REM cycles to really mm -hmm. process what we've done in the session. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's cumulative. Mm -hmm. You really have to follow the, the guidelines to get mm -hmm. the, the best results. Are they, during the session, are you, is the client or the patient talking through the trauma specifically? Such and a great question. Okay, so traditional trauma treatment, treatment before we had EMDR and some of these newer um, modalities like brain spotting um, and the emotional freedom technique and these things that we had to help people manage symptoms. Traditional trauma treatment was tell me your story. Now tell yeah. me again, tell me again. Tell me again, do you feel better or do you feel worse? And it's hard to know whether what we were doing was re-traumatizing people in that yeah. process. So they felt even more numb. So yeah, maybe yeah. I do feel better because I'm not really accessing it. Yeah. Uh, the thing about EMDR is that the client just has to introduce the memory to their own brain. Okay. Not, they don't have to describe it word for word. Our brain stores our experiences um, holographically Mm -hmm. sort of in sights and sounds, smells, bodily sensations. If you can bring your brain back to that place on your own in the processing with the therapist, you don't have to explain it. You just have to hold that image in your mind. Mm -hmm. um, our, our brains do remember things sort of in snapshots. We don't remember our histories chronologically. Mm -hmm. uh, therapy is the process of taking those, traditional therapy is the process of taking those images translating them into human words that another person can understand and then make some yeah. sense of with you. EMDR just invites you to hold it in your mind. And the truth is for those of us who had uh, trauma, you can, you can think of the, the image that goes with it. We ask, well, what's the worst image that you can think of? Hold that in your mind. Now hold these tappers. Mm -hmm. We'll run it 15 or 20 times. And then I'll ask, any change? What's different? Mm -hmm. And that is another piece of it. When I was doing the training um, with these these wonderful therapists, we all were like, are we doing it wrong? Mm -hmm. I don't know what the right thing to do is. And mm -hmm. I love that the literature really highlights there is no wrong way to do this. Mm -hmm. There's no expected outcome. There is no desired change or no change. But my responsibility as the therapist is to ask you, you have the radar for whether this is working or not, or which path your brain wants us to go down or not you have to give clear feedback about where your brain took you when we were talking about this. I had a client the other week who was processing a childhood experience and I could tell something wasn't, when I asked, How, how's it going? What, what are you getting now? That's some of the language we use after we pause the machine. He really had a hard time initially telling me the truth. He, I know we're supposed right. to be thinking about this, but now oh. my, I'm thinking about work. Mm -hmm. But it was, uh, those memories were linked in some way because mm -hmm. of an experience. Mm -hmm. And if your brain brings you to work, that means we're resolving some of the old stuff and yeah. clearing out that channel more. So we trust that. If your brain takes you to your workplace, let's go to your workplace. What do you see there? Keep going. Mm -hmm. Are there any like myths about EMDR that you want to clear up while you have the chance? Oh, like anything that you've heard that you're like, you know, I've got people listening. I really want to make sure they know well, I, if anybody is like me out there, they're thinking this sounds like hypnotism. What, why would this possibly work? And I, I never um, actually got the chance to hear Francine Shapiro in person, mm -hmm. but I was told that she frequently lamented naming this treatment 
eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, EMDR. She really wished that she had named it reprocessing therapy because that's what it is. When you add in that eye movement thing, you get all kinds of expectations that this is something strange or it's going to put you in a trance. None of that is true. There are some good uh, YouTube videos that show actual sessions that I would recommend people take a look at. Okay. Um, but also, the first, when I have a client come in and say, oh, I heard you do EMDR, I show them my machine. Mm-hmm. She, Francine Shapiro was said to have always regretted naming it eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, this big long word, uh, EMDR. And that she, the statement was that she really preferred to call it reprocessing therapy because that's what we're doing. We're asking clients to reprocess old experiences um, and relieve symptoms. And so when you add in the eye movement thing, you get all kinds of expectations that it's going to put you into a trance or uh, change your um, yourself. But it, it's really about helping a client reprocess an experience so that they can remember it without re-experiencing the trauma in the moment, which is what uh, PTSD uh, includes. Okay, so that it's not hypnotherapy, that's one thing that we wanna make sure we're just separating, not that there's anything wrong with hypnotherapy or RTT or any of that piece or subconscious programming. A hundred percent. I absolutely agree. I want to make sure that I'm at that point. But I have had people come in maybe with a, a religious expectation that this wasn't totally. going to be healthy for them. And I, right. it's not at all. Anything else? There are a couple of um, contraindicated situations for, for EMDR. Oh. It's not great for active addictions. It's less effective mm. when somebody's using um, we know that for traumatic brain injury, it's also uh, a little bit more challenging. Um, clients with a long, complex history of childhood uh, sexual abuse um, can really struggle with EMDR specifically, I've been told. Uh, mm -hmm. I just would recommend finding a therapist who is specifically trained in that particular issue. Mm -hmm. um, it's really, any trauma treatment is about resourcing and safety before you start any discussion of, of what happened to the client. And we uh, have been using this phrase um, trauma informed a lot mm -hmm. in our field lately. We have it in yoga too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. really crucial that the therapist understand what yeah. that means. Yeah. Go slow, check in a lot. I really see my work and I feel like most of the colleagues that I have done my training with uh, would agree as, as walking side by side with a client, not pushing them in any way to do um, work that they're not ready to do. And that's pretty important. You know, when you come into EMDR, you're expecting transformation. And I think it is possible. It really is possible, but it, a big piece of it is taking it slow at the beginning because when um, a client is struggling with complex PTSD specifically, there are um, many different things that can uh, cause distress in the moment and later. And we want to make sure that a client has the resources, the safety uh, when they leave to, to uh, manage any symptoms that come up in between sessions. And um, that's, that takes a little bit of time. But what I love about the resourcing work that we have, um, resource tapping or installation, it's, it's more about activating what a client already has in yeah. them. We yeah. tap into our intuition. We can tap in 
to inner wisdom figures. We can tap into protectors. Uh, there's a, a wonderful uh, therapist, Laura Laurel Parnell, who's written quite a bit on that concept. And uh, the protocols that she's written are beautiful and they work so well with my trauma survivor clients on mm-hmm. um, accessing the, the parts of themselves that are already active and, and just need a little bit of uh, permission to come forward and take, take part. I did a training at Kripalu this spring with um, Richard Schwartz on um, internal family systems. Oh yeah. And, yeah. It came up that uh, a lot that, that currently the, the new, he told us this, I haven't uh, had it confirmed, but that the new training for EMDR incorporates IFS, which makes oh. total sense to me starting yeah. to, to look at the parts of yourself that are involved in this and protecting you from your trauma and, yeah. and how we can invite them to take a break or take on a new role. And if you can use those concepts with the tapping to stimulate mm-hmm. the, um, the neural network and create a new, a new understanding of yourself, it can be really powerful. Oh, ridiculous. Yes. Y-E-S. Absolutely. In fact, the last podcast episode that, that just came out last week was with my friend, Jen, who's a yoga teacher who has been studying IFS and was like, Pleasance, you've got to hear about this. Can I come on the podcast and talk about it? And I was like, sure, let's talk about it. Cause I don't know anything about it. And I cannot be learning anything new right now. I am on a learning diet. I am in Ayurveda school and that's where I'm staying. So I get to like, dabble and have fun with you guys and then stay in my lane and be like, yes. no, no. Um, so I love all the, those natural connections that are happening with the ah. systems again, to support people. Do you, in between sessions, do clients do some of the work on their own? Like, would it ever be healthy to do it and practice on your own? I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. So I know that there are actual guides out there for at home EMDR. And, yeah. You know, most of the comments from the therapy community is have a, have a therapist, a licensed yeah. therapist with you. Yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah. Because I, I do know that um, it can be really challenging to navigate that stuff by yourself. Yeah. But we do have some tools that clients use. We install all kinds of self uh, soothing techniques with EMDR before we start the reprocessing. So a guided imagery about um, creating a safe place, yeah. uh, light stream tools, just different things to help calm you down in the moment. But one of the tools that is my favorite that, to teach people before we even start with EMDR is um, the butterfly hug. So you cross your arms in front of yourself and hold onto your, your elbows and you tap from side to side slowly. And we're teaching this to children in war zones and um, victims of earthquakes to navigate the anxiety that comes from those kinds of experiences. And the butterfly hug is just a a very soothing Mm -hmm. thing to do for yourself um, in that moment. It really is useful for single incident trauma, but also Mm -hmm. longer term um, traumatic abuse. You can use these kinds of um, self-soothing techniques to to make it through your day. Um, I think that, all of the tools that we have in psychotherapy in general can be self-administered in many ways. If, if you are taking it from the view of it being a self-care routine, yeah. uh, regular exercise, focusing right. on healthy food, focusing on healthy people in your world, t- journaling, crucial, mm-hmm. uh, just making sure that we have um, the tools to move our emotions through our bodies because emotions, mm-hmm. what do they say? They're like weather. They come and go if mm-hmm. we, if we let them, but if we don't, they stay in our bodies and, metabolize into difficult things. 
Mm-hmm. They block your chakras. Exactly. Same, same thing. I'm talking about the exact same <laughs> I thing. I know. <laughs> um, okay. Before we close, just because I love talking all things brain and therapy, uh, what's the future of psychotherapy? What do you think is happening here with the, this brain science and expansion? Um, in my very humble and limited view, I've spent a lot of times with therapy a lot of time with uh, burnt out therapists this year um, who have crossed over to mind body medicine, which is one of my homes. Um, I did their facilitator training this year and most of the people who go through mind body medicine are doctors or therapists or social workers um, who have been educated in the traditional system and it's not working for a number of reasons, mostly for them, not necessarily their clients. It's mostly they're just talking through the lens of what they were, what the education was limited, did not include indigenous and tribal communal (laughs) rituals. I mean, mind body medicine training to me was all Ayurveda because it's exactly the same stuff I learned in Ayurveda, which is so fun. But one of the conversations, the underlying conversations of, I spent five days in January and five days in October, over the 10 days was, what's the future of therapy? Like, what are we going to be doing with people? Because for the first time ever, all, so many of our practices and techniques are evidence-based now. We've got loads of research, so we don't actually have to separate science and spirit. We get to bring them together. So what do you think about that? What's your perspective? And- where are you with all that? Uh, I am so excited about it. I, yeah. I know that there's a lot of fear in th- these communities about what, what we'll have to do differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have always, um, I came through a program that was very uh, eclectic and mm. incorporated all forms of spirituality. And I couldn't imagine learning about psychotherapy without learning about those pieces as well. Mm-hmm. I think wellness is a better umbrella term than psychology, I think, honestly, mm-hmm. at this, at this stage of where we are. Um, and I think there's room for all of us. I think there's room for psychiatry and, uh, yogis and mm-hmm. coaches and all of these, these different pieces. I, my, um, my only concern right now is about the, um, the shifting to online or phone work. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I'm against doing it. I actually, Mm -hmm. I can see why that kind of support is really useful, but I've done a a lot of my training has been in trauma, but a lot of my training has also been in couples work and Mm. presence proximity is so key to helping people transform and feel Mm -hmm. safe and seen and known. And you cannot get eye contact with FaceTime. It is not the same thing. Hopefully we will have some research that maybe proves me wrong uh, at some point ab- about that. But we know that you know, having your partner with you, mm-hmm. holding your hand when you're talking about something really difficult or when you're, when you're in the hospital, it actually reduces your experience of physical pain to be connected with your partner. So therapists stand in for that. We create mm-hmm. you know, modeling relationships and not being in the room, not having that kind of healthy eye contact that triggers the endorphins for bonding and helps people experience being known and understood. I'm, I'm a little worried about that, but yeah. my hope is we're, human beings are incredibly adaptive. Maybe we'll come up with something that, that helps. 
Do you know, this just popped in my head when you said that, I have similar issues, I have similar, not issues, challenges, questions, theories, thoughts in, in yoga and Ayurveda because it's so personal and you're reading energy and intuition and it's much harder to see, like I can see this part of you, but I don't know what's happening below. Are you writing? Are you distracted? Is there a dog? Like, which is all fine. It's just, you can't, you don't get the whole picture. Demir, did, have you seen any research on the mirror neurons being receptive on technology? I have not seen any research on that. I am hopeful that we get some and that it is uh, fascinating. more, yeah, exactly, because that is such a tremendous finding yeah. in the research that we create yeah. these, um, these connections with people when we are in close proximity and, and can alleviate pain and, and make people feel calmer because of that kind of um, yeah. connection. I... I just don't know if it will work on yeah, a screen. I don't either. And we have the same conversation in meditation because there's been so many wonderful um, studies around what the power of group meditation in real life and what sangha and retreat and what happens with transformation with nervous system, focus, attention, compassion, right? All of these wonderful qualities. And more and more, I see meditation groups online. And if you just sit together on Zoom and these pieces, I think we really swung. I think that there was a lot of care providers and holistic health providers who were very burnt out. And when online came, and very poor, and when online came, it, it allowed many people to reach more people and make more money without so much effort. Mm. And I think part of the burnout that I do see in caregivers and social workers and yogis who, who maybe have done a lot of that, it will swing back towards the middle. Cause so I, I am in this boat where I'm finding myself just craving more in real life. And I'm going back to offering some of those original, just quiet yoga classes, meditation for women, like just quiet things. It's not going to be all the people or all the money, but it's just back to sort of healing in a more sustainable way, which feels like the pendulum is kind of settling. Um, But also I'm aware of the communities that I'm in that are so ridiculously privileged when even talking about this stuff that it could just be my tiny little (laughs) lens, you know, because... Uh. I don't know. I just, I have those same questions. Like, and it's the same thing with journaling and writing through our emotions and writing to heal. You know, we've had years and years of research about that pen to paper. And now Mm -hmm. I have a lot of people who resist doing that and they want to do it on the computer. And I'm like, I don't know. I've I've never seen the research that says that works as well. I, I haven't read it. I don't, I don't study with teachers who teach that. Um, I still think you need that hand to neural network, the, the connection that's happening, that's tapping into the emotions, but I don't know. And it's, uh, I mean, just, it overlaps with all of Brene Brown stuff on, on courage and vulnerability. Being in a group is so yeah. much more vulnerable. Uh, sitting with other people and being close in that way mm-hmm. can really, uh, feel unsafe for, for people these days. And meanwhile, you know, whenever I'm working with clients, getting them into a, a therapy group is usually the most transformative work that we can do. Yeah. It's more effective. I mean, honestly, there are plenty of couples therapists and I might, I might actually start to include myself in that category who believe that if you are suffering from something and you're partnered 
couples therapy is a way to a, a much faster way of, of resolving it. Mm-hmm. Um, if one, it's, yeah. it's rarely just that one client has, you know, one partner has anxiety and the other one doesn't have anything else going on, but it's, mm-hmm. it's usually a system. And if we can work on this mm-hmm. in relationship, it's just so much more powerful. Um, and then you have the factor that it's hard to get into an office. It's hard to find a therapist who t- takes yeah. your insurance. It's hard to find time. It's hard to find all of those pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost, I mean, I, I, I don't begrudge anybody who takes the other yeah. methods and, and gives yeah. it a try. Yeah. Uh, but if you're not having the results that you desire, right. you know, putting yourself into right. that vulnerable position of walking in and sitting with a stranger, I always tell clients, I'm not going to ask you to go any place I haven't been. I know what it's like to sit right. in a chair. Right. It is terrifying right. to sit across from a total stranger and, and that the real work comes in processing. What's it like for you to tell me that thing right now? Mm-hmm. What is it like for us to finally be discussing the thing that you've been keeping in, in your body for so long? I, I, I read a piece of research, which of course I, I love quoting that I can never remember the mm-hmm. source. So maybe yeah. I, <laughs> I transformed it for my own needs, but mm-hmm. that it takes an average of 90 seconds to process an yeah. emotion. Yeah. It, emotion code says that too, okay. that research. Glad yeah, to you hear have it. that in Good. yoga. Okay. Yeah. Confirmation. Yeah. And that you know, some people come into therapy after I 10 know. years of I know. working so hard not to process that 90 seconds. It's amazing to see uh, the transformation that can happen by just yeah. naming it with another yeah. person. Um, yeah. And just knowing that the 90 seconds, I mean, I think this is what I mean about this powerful time that we're living in where we can take something like that's the average length of a powerful emotion and then use it in coaching and therapy and Ayurveda and yoga and social work in all the areas to say, guys, like we can do this. We can move through this 90 seconds together. I'm holding you. I'm supporting you. I think that's a, I think that shift in psychotherapy and therapy models that we know from coaching research about transformation in groups is so powerful because I think that old model of one-to-one and now we know, yeah, if you, well, that's fine. And that does work for lots and lots of people. But if you, there is sort of a speedy, speedier process in group where you start to do that, that relation and that self-compassion mm-hmm. relation, because there's a Buddhist saying, I say pretty much every podcast episode, which is you are not so special. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean me, not like, I mean me, you, like the minute we get in group therapy, we're like, oh, I am not so special. Or in, in our case, our Lola community. I mean, that's what we are. We are a, a therapeutic health wellness community for women to talk about this in real life and be like, yeah, me too, me too, me too, me too. Okay, cool. I'm going to go you know, garden or work or pick up my kids from school because I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that piece is more and more important, obviously, for mental health, you know, as we Absolutely. And I think anyone who says this is the only way to do this. Yeah. Really? Turn and run, turn and run. (laughs) You should turn and run, but that person, what a corner to back yourself into. My God, we've learned so many different things just in a you know, 18 years that I've been doing this, it's like, yeah. uh, 17 years that I've been doing this. It's, it's our understanding of how couples function relationally. It's just completely transformed by the research that we now yeah. have. And, yeah. uh, it's, if you're not able to incorporate that, oof. Right. You're doing and the I love yourself. the, at least the people who I study or attract or read the Gottman's or Gay Hendricks or even Esther, like the cup on the couple side, they all are so deeply spiritual. 
you just yeah. hear it through them. And as someone who I'm spirit over, like I came to health from spirit, not from science. I just love that the science backs it up. It's so whole to have to feel that that masculine and feminine dance in these leaders. And that is just like, in terms of leadership and being alive and helping people right now, it's a powerful time, you know? I completely agree. It's, I think we're really incredibly lucky to, to have all this. And I, I'm, I'm excited for my kids to, to I know. be born into a world where there, there is more of this understanding when they're definitely going to need it. Y-E-S. <laughs> Hopefully they will not ever have another Trump presidency and that will be, and they won't remember it. Okay. Um, that's a whole nother episode. Um, Stacey, are you taking new clients? Where can people find you? And for people who are not in DC, cause we do have a number of people who are not in DC. Um, will you possibly send me like one or two links of reputable learning either from a YouTube you mentioned or your teacher, just someone that's reputable that you've studied with. That feels really important. Um, to Absolutely. Have that connection. Um, but for people who are in DC, where can they find you? And right. Well, so I'm, my office is in Georgetown and I okay. am not taking new clients currently until okay. August because of travel. And I, yeah, just, yeah. I don't think it's fair to get started with people this at this stage, but give me a call because okay. I can find somebody. I'm on many, many listservs. I can find okay. somebody who's taking people now. I can help you create a, a search for somebody who specifically has the training and the time of day and location and all those things that you might want. Uh, I know great people who are taking people right now. So please okay. Okay. be in touch. I always feel called to help people find the right match because yeah. it is so tricky. It is like yeah. dating. You have to have the right chemistry and I am not everybody's cup of tea. I can always find you somebody taller, shorter, fatter, thinner. I will. I, I know a lot of great people and that's my, mm -hmm. my um, job I see as not so much getting people in my door, but you know, helping cold calls are hard to make. So please yeah. reach out. I'm happy to help. My website is districtemdr.com. Okay. Um, I, also stacymurphylpc.com. Those are both um, my websites, but I'm happy to send that to you separately. Okay. And, and I'll uh, put it in the show notes. So, and I would recommend the, um, international association of EMDR. So EMDRIA, E-M-D-R-I-A.org. It's uh, very useful as well. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for those resources. Stacy. thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for educating us and updating us on current techniques and, just again, giving people real tangible tools and items, learning about what it is and being able to, you know, if they need it or a loved one, being able to tap into that power and intuition of healing, which is really important. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. It's um, a real pleasure to talk about something that is so crucial and uh, valuable in our world. And takes a lot of courage. So uh, I, I really appreciate you being on the front lines of helping people learn about the different ways they can get to healing. There are a lot of ways to do this. There's not just one path. Yay. Thank goodness. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, baby. Take care. Thank you. Thank so you. So great to see you. You too. It. Bye. Bye.